0: I feel like it would be like, um, what's that, Napoleon Dynamite? I hate that movie i've never watched that movie all the way through i watched for like the first five minutes and i couldn't do it but it was i could just imagine we get up here and work it out but i'm excited and thankful for the undefeated crew coming and doing the dance for us this morning giving us a little bit of a little different diversity with it all so um we are hopping in to chapter five of the book of ephesians we've been going through this sermon series for the past couple of weeks i've really enjoyed it um it's called set it straight and Paul is teaching to the church of Ephesus on how they are to live their Christian life, despite maybe some false teachings, despite some other doctrines and things like that. And he's giving a lot of basic, practical, biblical knowledge as we jump into chapter chapter five and six. So um, as we talked last week, just to kind of a little bit of a recap, um, the sermon series was called Don't Be a Good Christian. And I had some people that were just like, Farmer, what are you talking about? Don't be a good Christian. I've been I've told to be a good Christian my whole life. The goal for us is that if you focus on being a good Christian, sometimes we can get obsessed with the outwardness of what it looks like to be a good Christian. The, the, the thoughts of what the world and what the church says the standards are to be a good Christian. But for us, we want to focus on being a follower of Jesus Christ. That our lives is not dictated by the culture around us, but what Jesus Christ standards are. And ultimately, we want to see the inward change in our hearts so we can affect the community and the membership and the believers in the church around us. So what we um, remember here is that we were talking about being the person who doesn't look like the good Christian, but putting forth the practical application and the teachings that um, Paul was giving. And the application was meant to build up the body of Christ. Number one, we can't focus on follow. Number one, we should focus on following the process because there's a promise at the end of the process. Um, We get so caught up in being the good Christian where it's overnight. We want you to kind of be on the podium, sing in church. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's a process in your life. You're going to have sin, you're going to have things that you're going to struggle with in life, but God is bringing us into regeneration, into salvation if we focus on following this process out. But number two, it's also that we can't do this alone. We have to have a church family. Fellowship on a weekly basis, on um, a monthly basis, heck, on even a day-to-day basis. We have to have that fellowship because the enemy is always going to be there trying to pull us back into the old way and the old habits of life that we once lived in. As it was a reminder in the first one, two, and three chapters, Paul reminded us all that we were all trespassers and we were all sinning against God. No matter where you were in life, if you were rich, if you were poor, if you were Jew, if you were Gentile, if you were black, if you were white, you were poor, we all needed the grace of God to save our lives. And we are not to look down upon our brothers and sisters, but we look at how we can uplift them. So in chapter four, in the end of that, it was talking about putting off our old self and not being dictated by what the world and how the world wants us to live so that we then would be able to help our brothers and sisters as they live out their Christian life. He gave five practical points. He said, Put away falsehood and to speak truth to our brothers and sisters. He then reminded us, He said, Be angry and sin not. I'm really good at being angry and sin and not. I like throw chairs and basketball. We talk about this every single week. The kids, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm trying to be a peacemaker when I play basketball. It was funny. somebody last week was just like you played basketball with my uh my husband and i was like oh my god where he's just like in this basketball league i was like oh jesus and it was the christian basketball league where i yelled at the referees and stuff and i was just like does he remember me she, she goes oh yeah he remembers you <laughs> he was like he remembers that you're a pastor <laughs> so it's one of those moments of remembering be angry but sin not and don't let the sun go down on that sin and anger that you may have Um, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let them labor with honest work of their hands. Let no corrupt talk come from your mouth, but build up with your language. Let what you speak be life to people, brothers and sisters. Let that be a place where what you speak can bring a positivity to someone's situation that they may not hear, they may not know. And it says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit and let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, all of these things, Let them not be known in your life. I believe as you're a follower of Christ, these are going to be attributes that start to come into your life as you allow the Holy Spirit to live in your life more and more. And the more you have the Holy Spirit in your life, the old way fades away. God gives us this grace and the ability to do so for our own sake, for his own honor, but also for our brothers and sisters. Because I believe as we're working here in the west side, we have to have this abundance of love and grace for our brothers and sisters, also for the city, for the issues that we face. Um, Tommy mentioned, as he was praying earlier, I said it's um, it's been kind of a little rough and stuff. On the morning, I think it was th- Thursday or Friday morning, um, There was an incident that involved some of our community kids and some of our students where there was a man who was 6.45 in the morning flying through the neighborhood. Um, We, I'm right around the block from where it happened. Um, I hear the cop cars, I'm like, what is going on? Um, Unfortunately, the person who was fleeing came through the neighborhood where kids and families were actually going to school in the morning and hit one of our parents, one of our neighbor's parents. Um, She ended up, um, she's got two broken elbows, she's got two broken legs, um, she's got a fracture on her brain, she's got a lot of broken ribs. Um, Thankfully, because we knew the neighbors and everybody that we were actually able to get the kids in the morning, Um, we made sure they got to school on time. KK was doing hair, making eggs and bacon, and um, I believe that's a part of what it looks like to be a community of believers. To be able to say that Holy Spirit and God is living in us. He gives us a grace to live in this area and to work in this area in circumstances that, that may feel like it's insurmountable for us to be and to live here. He gives us grace to live here, but then not only to live here, but to also be able to say we're going to be a positive, effective change for the community for these kids and for these families. Um, We're really excited, Charleston PD contacted me yesterday. We were really, it's a really collaborative effort. We are working with the school to make sure that the kids were good. PD contacted us about um, counseling services and other social services and such. Um, And they actually called yesterday and they were like, hey, we just wanna make sure the girls are okay. And they were like, would y'all like to go on Disney on ice tonight with them? I was like, would I? So we're going to, um, I'm going to get a chance to, me and KK are going to go with the girls tonight to take them on Disney on nights because we know that they're dealing with some things. We ask that you uplift this family right now. It's going to be a long road to recovery. Um, we're going to be helping them out a lot during this time, and we want to be able to help provide as we may be able to. Um, kind of speaking in these kind of terms, what we see here in Ephesians 5 is that, Paul is shifting from the behaviors of living um, an old life of your old self to the new self, but he really starts to focus on the distinguishing belie- between a believer of Jesus Christ and a non-believer in Jesus Christ. So this is where we start to see a place in your life when a lot of old timers are like, well, people, if they saw your life, would they believe you were a Christian? And a lot of people just think because you got a suit and a tie on, or maybe you go to church, you tie every Sunday. They think that's the attributes of a Christian. But what Paul is really giving here is saying that, hey, listen, your life in the inward working that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life is going to set you aside and your life is going to look different day and night from other people around us. So as a believer, it is the thought that can you tell and will others be able to tell that your life is distinctly different from a non-believer? not in your outward appearance and your clothes and your attire. Many people, they want, as you join the church, they want you to assimilate into the culture of the church. Walk like me, talk like me, act like me, pray like me. And as long as those things are following after Jesus Christ, and as long as those things are pointing you to Jesus Christ, and as long as they are not putting on a person's personal opinions on how they should act, there's no harm in that. But as we're looking at Paul, he's focusing on the inward work of the Holy Spirit to transform our lives into a distinctly different person, a brand new creation as we have received salvation, as we are regenerated. It's now then that you start to not live by the customs and the standards of the world around you, but you adopt the standards of Jesus Christ, the standard by which God gives us and the culture in which and the customs he wants us to live by. It's for two things. Number one, it's for our personal protection as God is guiding our lives. But number two, it also gives us a measure and a standard by which we are to conduct ourselves. So when we talked about this last week, when we we all have freedoms in our lives. As, As a Christian, I have freedoms to live my life. As a person, I have freedoms to live my life. And Paul talked a lot about this. He said, I'm a Roman citizen and I have freedoms as a Roman citizen, but he would forsake all of those things and put them aside for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is saying that my kingdom relationship that I have, my banner and my association with Jesus Christ trumps that of that that I have as a Roman citizen because I'm first and foremost the kingdom of God. I live first and foremost living in the kingdom of God. So there are two things that we, when we look at this standard or the culture of Christ, when you look at the word standard itself, um, it means that there's actually a banner and there's an association in which you are connected to. So in the military, you, would, you see people, they walk forward and they have, they say hold the flag, hold the standard. A lot of people think hold the standard which, it means hold the flag because it shows your association that you are with. Um, I've been watching a lot of WW2 documentaries while um, Naomi, while I was on paternity leave. I'm a weirdo, y'all. I like history. I love history. And, like, I love General Patton in World War II. He was a tough dude, but he also was uh, all about holding the standard, holding the practices into place so you can win the battle that comes ahead of you. I don't think it's ironic that as Paul is talking in Ephesians 5, he starts to give a basic standard before he talks about the weapons of warfare that we have to be able to be defended against ourselves by the enemy, but also the weapons he helps has gives us in chapter 6 for us to defeat the enemy. He has to first set forth the standard by which you are associated with so then you will be able to fight the battles that will come up against you and to defend yourself against the enemy. So as he's giving these standards, he's kind of telling them, like, you're part of God's army. But also that standard is also a banner of protection and association. I can guarantee that as people would go to war, if they would see the standards coming at them ahead of the game, like the Mongolians, I talk about history, they were like the most vicious people biggest rulers and people they would go into areas and they would walk in with this standard this banner that showed that they were associated as the Mongolians, and people would surrender they would be like i'm out tap out one two three with my thing sasha banks got me i'm like tap out because they knew the banner that they were associated with had a level of protection and no different in our lives as we start to live under the standard and the banner that jesus christ gives us as we start to associate ourselves with the understanding that he wants us and he is giving us the standard to protect us and to guide us. It means that we are associated with his army If I know anything about my God, my God is mighty. My God is strong. My God is a a fortress around me and stronghold that when I go through issues, when I go through stresses and trials, and I'm going through this process to my promise, it's got to be the understanding that I do not put down the standard. I do not put down the measure and the evaluation and the principles and how I conduct myself because I trust in God's will as I'm walking this life out. Paul is saying, listen, you cannot live by the standard of the world because the world's standards are constantly changing. But focus on God's standards and the teaching that I'm giving you, and you will be able to accomplish the goals that I've put forth before you. And I want us to understand as a church, as we look at the standards in our culture around us, the standard is for us is the culture of Christ for us to follow that. But we can't allow the culture of the world around us to dictate how we reach and evangelize to people. Um, It's right before Easter. We're going to be taking this next month before Easter. We're going to do a lot of evangelism in the area. We're going to be connecting with people. We're going to be outreaching. We're going to be um, reaching people who may be lost because we know around Easter time, people get connected to church and stuff. And we want to make sure that we're prepared in our individual life, but also that we don't, as we are evangelizing, start to drop the standard to how do you bring people within our fold of the church? I don't want us to think about the stresses of like, well, how, how can I be relational to someone? And you drop the standard by which Christ has allowed you to live. I think sometimes we, we look at the thought that we're going to be cookie cutter Christians like, you know, hi, guys, I'm Michael Farmer. Good to meet you. You go door to door, you are meeting people and they're like, who is this square? I believe that as our church is growing, God is going to use our diversity of people and members to bring in those who are lost. The standard by which we live and the standard of our heart is ultimately that Christ lives within us, but it doesn't take away from who I am and the diversity and the culture that I may have grew up in. I believe that the culture that I grew up in and the life that I was in does not devalue me, but there are going to be places and times that I can be relational to someone else's brokenness because maybe I went through that and God was able by me following the standard to reach that person there are going to be people, I say this all the time, that Jim and Sherry are going to reach because I'm not going to be able to maybe associate with them. There's going to be people that Megan and Tommy, and there's going to be people that our kids. They was up here doing the, the renegade and the well, I can't do those moves, y'all. I can't at all. I break my arm. I thought about trying to dance with them. KK was like, can you dance with me? I was like, I'll watch a movie with you. I'll watch the dance moves, but I can't do that. How about I preach and you got this? But there's going to be a time when our gifts and our talents and our abilities... The, the diversity that we have, as Paul's been talking about through this, he set forth these, these basic things. He's saying that the church is going to be diverse. The church is going to be many broken pieces. The, person, the church is going to be many um, the cultures and creeds, races, colors. As we worship God, we are able to bring many into the fold of who Christ is. But I cannot allow the world's cultures, even in my individual culture that I grew up in as an African-American male, to trump over what it means to follow Christ. Now my associations that I have, have gotta be to God's kingdom first. That doesn't mean like, I, you know, if I came to church, I was just like, I gotta wear a suit and a tie. I'm like, I'm wearing my bandana, I'm gonna wear my shirt, I'm I'm gonna be me still. But it's not gonna negate from what Jesus Christ is doing. So we don't have to worry about being relational with the world around us, but rather be consumed with your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that light of God that's living inside of you and that Holy Spirit that is living inside of you as you are working and as you are living, as you are pursuing Jesus Christ with all of your heart, not worrying about being relational to the world, but worrying about being relational to Jesus Christ, you will be able in your areas that you have influence, to push back pervasive darkness, to push back the sin of the world, to push back things in which those who are lost need help with. But we've got to remember that the church is meant to influence the culture of the community, but rather we see the culture of the community being influenced by the church. i gonna say that again. The church is meant to be the influence of the cult. Co- I'm sorry, the influence the culture and the community, but rather we see the culture of the community influencing the church. As we are growing together in this body, Paul is saying that there's going to be many false teachers, there's going to be non-believers. But as individuals, we have to live in fellowship with God and fellowship with each other and the standards so we are not consumed by the things that are going on around us. We're not consumed by the world. Because guess what? As we live out our lives, we're going to meet people who are non-believers. I you know what this is, I'll be honest with you. I'll say this. Don't. The live stream is on. Anyway, sometimes I like having conversations with non-believers because I feel like they're more normal. I said this last week, sometimes you get those cookie cutter Christians and they're just like, hi there, what's going on? Praise God, the glory to God, the sun came up. Hi, you see this flower, it's in the wintertime, Jesus did it. I'm like, oh, that's nice, man, that's nice. Like, you watched the game last night? I didn't watch it because the commercials are crazy. I'm like, oh, Jesus. I'm like, well, let's learn how to live out this life in fellowship with non-believers so we can be an influence on their lives. So we're going to jump into the breakdown real quick of the sermon text. We're going to be going through Ephesians 1 through 20. Ah right, let's go. It is 11:44 y'all I'm, I'm trying every single week I know I'll go over but can y'all give me a little bit of grace just to, to let the word preach for itself all right so as we're going to do we're going to break through, through the verses here and we'll give the applicable teaching as Paul is given here. So verses 1 through two it says here that um, Paul is telling him it says, "Therefore be I don't know why this alarm keeps going." I did this last week also. My bad. That's my alarm to say quit preaching so long. I'm trying to work on my life, guys. So it says this. In Ephesians 5, in verses 1 and 2, Paul is telling the Ephesians, he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave up himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Paul is setting forth the standard. He's saying, imitate God. He he didn't say imitate the church. He didn't say imitate the pastor. He didn't say imitate the worship leader. Imitate God. Imitating God is going to bring you to a place where you know your individual relationship with God and who he has called you to be. Don't imitate God in a place to where you feel as though I've got to live this holy, holy standard that you cannot reach because Jesus Christ's blood has already covered us and he has made us holy and he's redeeming us through our regeneration. But when it means imitate God, it's kind of like you start to look at God as your father and you imitate God as a son or a daughter of the risen king. I thought about this. I've said this before. KK left. I can say this. Me and Kenaya are like, it's really weird. We are like the same exact people. We're both stubborn. We both got attitudes sometimes, but we both have big hearts. But as I realize, I say, as I'm seeing this, she imitates what I do. So as she sees my good behavior, I see things and shiftings and changing in her. I'm like, man, her behavior is changing because of what I'm doing. So if we know God's righteousness and goodness, we start to then imitate God as beloved sons and daughters of God, knowing that our father has an authority, our father has power to be able to help us. We don't live in this place where we are trying to be like slaves who are trying to earn our wages with God and try to earn this holiness. That's not where we are. That's not where God has placed us. God has said you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but I loved you enough before the earth was even formed to give you a plan of redemption and I show value upon you. It's beckoning back to the reminder in Ephesians 2 that Paul was saying, you are my masterpiece. You are wonderfully and fearfully made in the image of God. And as you were believing and following after God, he helps us to know our identity as sons and daughters, and we walk in love sacrificially to those who are around us. In our uh, Southern Baptist kind of uh, thing, I don't know what this is, like our kind of points of what it means to be Southern Baptist, I love what it says. It says this is that every single person is privy to Christ-like love, As we are made in the image of God, no person should be denied Christ-like love. That means we serve every person, regardless of their race, creed, color, or culture, or their beliefs. We love every person. As we have been given the opportunity to steward what God has given us at Risen City, we are going to be non-discriminatory in those who we serve because we believe as we are imitating God, then people are going to see God inside of us, and it will attract them too the goodness that he brings. Romans 10 says it's the goodness of God that brings a man into repentance. As we're with our brothers and sisters, as we kind of see some clear distinguishers down here, you're going to see that we don't put down people, but we love them through all circumstances and situations. So it says here in verses 3 through 5, Paul starts to give very clear distinguishings between a person who is a non-believer and a person who is a believer. But he tells us, as opposed to just saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, he tells us how we should then live our lives. So he tells us in verses 3 through 5, it says, But sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness must not be named amongst you. As it is proper amongst the saints, let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place. But instead, let there be thankfulness and thanksgiving, for you may be for you may be sure of this that anyone who is sexually immoral and impure or covetousness, that person is an idolater and has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Paul is talking about people who may be sexually immorality and in, in a place where they may have purity, impurity and covetousness. He's not talking about somebody who may have sinned in the fold of God and they repent. He's talking about somebody who's made a lifestyle of these things. That means their life has been committed to that. You're living in a place where you worship these things and it has consumed your life. As we look at that, he equates that to a person who is um, living in that place of idolatry. It's for us to understand that they've given themselves over to the pleasures rather than giving themselves over to the creator of God. You're giving yourself over to the flesh, the temptations that pull us away, the enemy. And these things are really dangerous because of two things. It then becomes bodily sin, in which your body, your outward and stuff like that, you're physically giving yourself over to that, but then you also then have a spiritual attachment to these things. When you look at having a bodily sin that affects your outwardness, your body itself, There's also inward sin that comes into place when your spirit then is neglecting away from God and you're giving yourself over to the enemy. These two places are very dangerous, but Paul tells us how do we live in a place where we're not tempted, where we do have that temptation, but we're able to overcome it. He tells us, it says, be in a place where you're consumed with thanksgiving to God. When you're focused on the good that God has given you and the blessings that you have, then you don't focus on what you do not have. I have to say this all the time to my kids. They focus on, well, why did so-and-so get this? And why didn't I get this? And why don't I have that? And why don't I have that car? Why can't I be the pastor that sings on Sunday? Why don't I have the big, massive church with the $20,000 screen? Why don't I have the church van and the people? I can become covetous. And you know what I start to do? I start to idolize the church building and the things that the church has as opposed to worshiping God And being thankful for what he has blessed me with then you become an idolater (coughs) covetousness is the end of that because when you start to covet then you don't you're not in the place where you can be thankful for what god has given unto you and i believe that if if we can understand what god has blessed us with in this moment how will we then be prepared for what he has for us afterwards? Will we be mature enough to receive the full blessing and the full working that God has for us? I believe this wholeheartedly is that when we see people and maybe churches that falter or fail it's because they didn't steward what they had initially in thankfulness. Then when God had given them something, they weren't able to handle it. And I pray that as we grow as a church that we look at what we have here at 1410, 4th Avenue. We got a little worship area up here you know, we were meeting in the gym. I pray we're going to get back to there one day when we start to, like, outgrow this and stuff like that. I made the joke. I told when our pastors, I said, if we're all here after, like, the Ebola and Corona season and the flu season's over, we're probably going to have to move back in there at this point by the time Easter comes because we moved in here for that more intimacy. But I'm like, we keep outgrowing. I think Megan and Tommy were out, and who was it? I think we had, like, four other couples. We had, like, 15 people out last week, and there was, like, a billion people here last week. I was like, oh, my God, we're going to have to get more space. And I believe it's because... We value what God has given us in the small, and he will continue to bless us as we grow and as we expand and as we send people out. It's going to be amazing to see the working that we're doing because we're going to be stewards of what God has given us right now, but we don't allow ourselves to be consumed with works of the world. So then it continues on here as we jump into verses 6 through 10. He starts to give some applicable teaching. Um, on how we are to um, let our lives, not to be deceived by what the world has. So it says here in verses six through ten. It says, "Let no one deceive you in empty words, for because of these things, uh, so because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them." It says, "For at one time you were darkness." And it says, but now you are the light of the world, walking as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all good and right and truth. It says, and try, I'm sorry, it says, and try to discern what is pleasing to God through this process. When he speaks about the empty words, it's talking about people who are blind outsiders to what is going on in the church. I tell people all the time, I say, don't take the information from a person who was an outsider on how you should live your Christian life. People, they say, misery loves company. We always make that joke like, hey, misery loves company because why? Because when a person may be consumed with the sinful life that they are living, they ultimately want other people, maybe they have grown into that fold with them. Paul is giving this bi- basic biblical practical application. I believe it's also in the standard of saying that we choose to live by the word of God, that standard. Because you know what happens? And I say this all the time. When you get mad or when you get frustrated, when you go through that breakup with that boy or the girl, what's the first gospel that we go to? I need that Nicki Minaj. I need that Drizzy Drake. I need the Ed Sheraton. Is that his name? Um, what's Sheridan? Sheraton? Who? Okay, Ziggler. I don't know these people. 21 Savage. They're looking at me like, who are these people? We easily, instead of even in thinking about this, when we look at the word that says empty words, look at the people and the influences you are allowing to dictate in your life on how your actions are after you have a situation. Do we go to the word of God? Do we go by that standard? Or do I just quickly I'm like, man, I'm mad, I'm frustrated, I'm consumed and stuff like that. I'm guilty of it. There's sometimes when I get mad and frustrated, I just want to put on some gangster rapper and ride down the road. And I think to myself, man, when I listen to that, I'm like, my whole mindset gets mad. I'm over here like, yeah, I'm ready to tear some stuff up. And I got to go into a board meeting. (laughs) I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, God, do I put forth your standards in all situations because God's word is fulfilling or do I allow myself to be dictated by the empty words? He's essentially saying, hey, listen, you're going to live a life with unbelievers and people who don't believe and trust unto God, but don't allow them to dictate how you live your life every single day. When I walk out of here, I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, you know, have this place where I can't avoid non-believers. But when there is a point in a time when you see that this person is sinning, flee from it. It's as simple as that. I tell people all the time, I say, you don't have to sit at the table for every argument that you're invited to. You don't have to sit at the table for every fight that somebody invites you to. You don't always have to be at the table of gossip and disseminating words and information. You can pull yourself out of that situation very easily. And I believe that as we are living this new life, the Holy Spirit gives us a special grace to do so. I continue to say this. I said, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul, through his suffering, is saying, for the sake of the gospel, I will continue to do what is right, and it's only by God's grace that I can do so. For our young people, it may just be that you're at the lunch table one day, and it means that somebody is gossiping and talking and wants to fight you, and you step away from that because you don't see value in the empty language and the empty words that are being spoken, but you trust and you value what God has for you. So as we continue on, it says here in verses 10 through 12, Paul is then saying, try to discern what is right and pleasing to God. This is going to be a important verse here as we jump in to the verses in 20, as we kind of talk about how do we live a sober-minded life. Remember, this is try to discern what is pleasing to God. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is the light. So we're going to have opportunities as we're going through our missional communities and our weekly meetings to do things. Um, We're going to be going through your Who's Your One? And your three circles. And Ethan gave a good teaching on the three circles. On how do we go from having a conversation with somebody who may be broken? Help me out here, Ethan. Brokenness, gospel, God's plan. He's over here. Y'all knew it was gonna happen. Y'all just, y'all just went to the gospel. Of Drizzy Drake in the back. Look at y'all. So as we find broken people, we don't condemn them for the lifestyle that they're living but we don't affirm the lifestyle that they're living. I think a lot of the times in, in being relational, we can kind of look at saying, well, maybe if I kind of affirm, or maybe I, I joke with them a little bit, or maybe if I give into that locker room banter, maybe if I, if I, I try to be relational with them, they'll, they'll understand, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm the cool Christian, guys. Hey, I get jiggy with it. I do the whip and the nay nay. Like, you know how it is. We all want to do that. But I believe wholeheartedly that as you allow the Holy Spirit to live in you and the gospel to penetrate your heart and your life that he is going to give you discernment on how you are to speak to an individual to the mess of their life that they may be in, to the moments and times when they may have stresses and they may divulge to you that there may be sin in their life. You don't have to give yourself over to trying to be relational, but you're so consumed with your relationship with Christ that you were walking in such an alignment with him and the standard is above your life that you are number one, not going to be overtaken by the sin of this other person's life and tempted, but then you can also lead them to Jesus Christ. Paul is saying here, don't let the standard of the world overtake you. Continue to walk in love of Jesus Christ and allow that love and the grace to overshadow this person's sin. We don't condemn, but it's the love that we have and the wisdom that God can give us is going to bring people into personal salvation. Our goal is as we're walking out here, we're going to see people who are drug addicts. We're going to see people who are idolaters. We're going to see people who are just consumed with alcoholism. We're going to see people who don't know how to steward what God has given them. It doesn't mean we put them down, but we love these people because we know that they are born in the image of God. And we pray that our life is so fulfilling to God that we are able to speak his words out. Have you ever just, have you ever just been speaking to someone and they're just telling you some stuff and you're just like, you just say it out without even thinking. And you're like, God, that wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit. I don't know what happened. I pray that our life is like that, that we don't even have a chance to respond, but God speaks through us because we are a willing vessel to be able to be used to help those who are in need. In the context, Paul is focusing on our lives and our individual lives and helping our brothers and sisters to come to Christ. So as we continue, he tells us here in um, verses 15 through 21, there is a real big shift here. Um, Verses 12 talks about how We don't speak of shameful things and secret things like that, but our light will expose and give um, a place where there's visible. We're visibly able to push back the pervasive darkness. We're able to help someone who may be in their sin. And he says here, awaken, O sleeper, arise from your death, and Christ will shine upon you. He's speaking about a person who comes to salvation because the light that you were able to shine on them, and you're awakening them to the wisdom of Jesus Christ and the love that he has for them. But then he does a very clear shift here. He starts to speak about how we are to be able to walk in a way of wisdom and to walk in a way of understanding God's works so that we can discern what's going on. All right, we got I got like five minutes. We got five, can I get five minutes, y'all? Five minutes. We're gonna get out of here at twelve oh six. Come on, gear. Help me out here, G. Help me out here. If if I get five minutes, give me an Amen. Okay, I needed that real quick. I need some, I, sometimes I need need affirmation. I'm not a good Southern Baptist pastor. I'm working on this, y'all. We're going to be missionary Baptists aligned up. I grew up in Southern, black Southern Baptist churches. I got this. We need this, okay? So it says here in verses 15 through 21, he gives a couple of clear, applicable things right here. Guidelines for us to be able to be sober-minded so we can help out our brothers and sisters. Verse 15 and 16, he says this. He says, look carefully then, How you walk, not as unwise, um, but be wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the will of God. One of um, the pastors of Old Church I used to go to, Pastor Darren Powell, he said this in a sermon one time. He said, uh, time is the most valuable thing that you have. You can't get it back. I don't care who you are. Time is the ultimate dividing line of, hey, you got this time and it's over. As we are learning to live our lives, do we invest our times and those things are going to be fruitful? Are we investing those seeds? It talks about how the man who doesn't plant in the harvest time has nothing as we're living. How do I value my time? I've learned this as a pastor, as a dad now, um, as an after-school director. I, I kind of like, when I first started this a year ago, I'm thankful for the grace that the church gave me as I was trying to figure all this out. Because there were days I'm like, I'm running an after-school program. You know, I've got to do biblical counseling. I've got somebody who has no lights or no water. They have no food. They have to stop everything I'm doing. I've got to go to Logan County. And I'm like, I'm not from Logan County, y'all. None of these people know me. Please let me come back alive then I'd have to come to church and I'd have to be here with all of our kids. And we know that they're dealing with stresses and traumas. Days are going to be like that. But do you invest in your life to develop biblical disciplines so that when there is an issue or when there is a time or a trouble or peril, are you going to be prepared for the situation? Y'all listen, Friday morning, I woke up 6:45 in the morning, boom, cop cars flying by situation that I could not control on my own, but I'm thankful in that moment that everything was going on, that there had been biblical disciplines in my life to be able to say that when there is a situation that my neighbor or my friend or my family member is in need, I can step into that moment because of basic biblical disciplines that we've developed. To be able to say, hey, listen, I can go down the street and help my neighbor right now, with this situation. I can get them to the school because why? Because I've prepared my life and my day to walk in alignment with God. I'm prepared in this moment in time when you have four young ladies who would literally have watched their mom be hit by a car. They're crying and there's trauma and there's stress. In that moment in time, you're able to console them and discern what you need to say and what you need to do. But it starts with us being sober-minded when people, people read this verse all the time, verse 18, um, and they, this is one of those like Bible thumping kind of things like that, when it kind of like, you know, be don't be drunk and stuff like that. So people look at this, and they read it for what it says. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. When you talk about being drunk with wine, think about What happens in your drunkenness? Y'all, I spent a lot of time in Huntington on 4th Avenue in college. You know, I spent four years of my life, every single part. So there were some Wednesdays because they had 25-cent pictures. I was always down there too. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I literally spent almost four years of my life in Huntington. Just on the block, drunk, couldn't do anything. And that made me think about, said, my drunkenness was such a waste of time. But when you start to think about what it actually means to be drunken, What are some things in your life that inhibit you from being sober-minded? What What are actions and things? This is talking about actually saying like drunkenness with wine. But what are things in your life that you allow yourself to be consumed with that you're not able to discern the will of God? What are you inputting into yourself that then changes the way that you were able to view the world around you? Lord, am I am I am what I'm watching on TV? podcast. (laughs) And what I'm watching on TV inhibiting me from hearing the voice of God? Am am I consumed with hours of junk? Am I I in a place where the music and things I listen to, does it affect me in a place where I can't discern God's wisdom because I'm giving myself over to everything else in the world? When when it talks about how verse 10, it, it really said there that Paul was telling him was it verse 10? I'm sorry. In, in verse, 10 he, verse, yeah, verse 10, he says here, "He says, and try to discern what is pleasing to God. You can't discern what's pleasing to God when you are inebriated, when, when, when you are consumed with other things in life. It, it's essentially saying that there are things that are okay. It's okay to watch TV. It's okay to have a beer or a drink. Know that you're standard, but don't allow that to consume your life. But you also know, have to know who you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And are you willing also to give up that right that you may have to lay down that drink, to lay down that time of television walking, to lay down that music for the sake of our brothers and sisters around them to affirm them. I have a right to go out, drink a beer, do whatever I want. But am I going to be in a place where it takes away my discernment so that I can help a brother or sister? I can watch as much TV as I want. I can go home, binge watch something. What I've been watching, um, what I been watching, I don't watch a lot of TV and stuff like that, My Hero Academia, what it is, oh, yeah, I watch a lot of, can, can you call me out right now, I watch a lot of bass. come on, I need my basketball, I'm a 76ers fan, we ain't doing too well this year, but it's even in that realm of looking at saying, I can watch this, it's okay, but don't let it consume my life, don't, don't let it become the thing that I've allowed to be inebriated by. Because as we live out this life, it's the understanding that that can also lead to debauchery. He's using drunkenness right now to say, hey, listen, that is going to lead to other things that are going to pull you away from the new life that God has called you to live. Where is the balance? Where is the moderation? Where is the standard? And if it is not of God, do not put down the standard of God for you to be able to live a Christian life. Paul just speaks very directly here to it. He's telling us, that once we get into a place of drunkenness and inebriatedness and consuming ourselves with things that can lead to debauchery, it becomes a place where you can give yourself over to sensational pleasures of the world. And then we're no longer giving thanksgiving to God because we're so consumed with everything else in the world. Paul ends this off, and if um. Praise. Are we doing the song? Are we doing the song. Yeah, we're gonna do a song. He's gonna play with the baby in his hand. Tommy's that talented. We missed Megan and Tommy last week. We really did miss y'all. <laughs> Can I have missed you guys also, a lot? But as Paul is finishing this off, he's telling them. He's saying, "Don't be drunk and wine, for that's debauchery. But be filled with God's Spirit." He, I love the way that Paul teaches. He doesn't just say, "Don't do this," but he gives, tells you what to be, what to do. Be filled with God's spirit. Be filled with joy. Be filled with thankfulness. Be, be filled with the understanding that you are a son and a daughter of the risen King. That right there, every day I wake up, sometimes I just feel down. I feel like I can't make it. I, I posted this this week. I said, I feel as though sometimes that God puts us into situations where there may be traumatic situations and trauma that other people can't face because you are strong enough to bear the burden for them. And I believe it's because we commit ourselves to the standard of Jesus Christ, that that standard and that stronghold is over our lives and we are able to do what feels impossible if we commit ourselves to Jesus Christ. Paul ends in saying this, he says, addressing one another in Psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melodies to the Lord with your heart and giving thanks always and for everything that God the Father in his name our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another in reverence to Christ. There's such a value in us singing before service, such a value in us doing the dances and stuff because why? I believe that brings us to a place of remembering who God is I'm a big music person. I love music. I'm like, I love lyricists and stuff. I hate new hip-hop. I can't deal with the new. If you listen to that trash, throw it away and stuff like that. It's not trash. Okay, it is trash. K-K. Trash, K-K. Trash, K-K. trash. KK. Let me just do my thing then, KK. K-K. <laughs> this is why KK don't come in. You just be spouting it out and stuff like that. We're going to talk about this later. Okay? Don't I don't know. See? See? I don't, like, I don't like inappropriate language. I love my baby. Oh, the rapper. Oh, no, I'm sorry. See, this is why we can't. This is why. We, the baby. Well, I called the baby. All right. This is a cultural difference here and stuff like that. I'm gonna end this with this. I told the kids. I said something in the reference to "I Love Lucy." I said you got some explaining to do, and she was just like, "I don't know what that means." And I was having a conversation with you about Ricky Ricardo, and they was like, "I don't know who that is." This is just a cultural thing. But this is the best part. Ooh, this is real good. Christ culture transcends. Listen, uh, Christ culture will oversee all of the culture of the world because it's going to fade. The culture that you live with Christ and the standard by by which you live with Christ is always going to supersede that of the world. I can't drop my standard as a pastor to be relational to a child because there's cursing in the song. Just to make them feel good about coming to church. The standard is we follow Jesus Christ and through his light, that's why we have 50 billion kids who come on Tuesday. So anybody who wants to come on Tuesday nights with our 30 to 50 kids every Tuesday for youth group, we just want to invite you out. Just, just putting it out there if you like kids and such like that. But I believe that's why we have such a calling for young people and such an open door. We say we're going to follow Christ and we're not going to drop the standard. Amen? But we're going to end off in singing psalms and praises to God as Ethan and Tommy come on up. You want me to take the baby? Oh, fine. I didn't want the baby.